It's rut and river. Yes. Correct. R-U-T. I rest my beard hair right on there, it. And then you know you're there. Like a nice, gentle little pillow from right, a beard. Right. And then I'm all up in it. Oh. I'm like Kobe beef for sharks. Can I ask you, what made you guys call me up about, well, this? That's what tickles our fancy. Exactly. Okay. Thought the Rocky Mountains would be rockier. John Denver <laughs> is not accurate. Man. A guy like you, who has absolutely no clue, and I can hear it in your voice, that, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, you're a blank canvas. I mean, I can just start with you, right, like, from scratch. You, you're going to tell me, a grown man, you're telling me what lure to use and how to fish? You guys didn't s- snap your whopper plopper off either, though. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry I blew up over that. <laughs> and we are back. You are listening to the Rutten River Pursuit podcast. This is Reality Outdoor Radio, where our mission is to get you in the outdoors by connecting you with the people, skills, and products you can trust. You can, you trust, can trust them. them. Trust it. We are sitting here uh, right around the sauna campfire. I'm Ryan. Who do I got with me tonight? <laughs> this is Dave. I'm Brian. It's Bucky. And I'm Will. What's going on, fellas? Hey, guys. Hey, Bucky. Yeah, Ryan. Why don't you tell me a little bit about this month's sponsor? I'll tell you about this month's sponsor. This month's episodes are brought to you in part by Scared Fishless Tackle Company. You'll find everything you need to be successful on the water there. These soft plastics are rugged. Mm. Will caught multiple fish on the same six-inch diamondback worm during our most recent pike and bass trip to New York. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, he did. He, he slaying them. Need a custom color or bait made? Hey, guys, they do that, too. Noise. Check them out at scaredfishless.com. Scared Fishless. Or on Instagram and the Facebooks at Scared Fishless. Scared Fishless. Hey, guys. Yeah, bud. Yeah, man. So our first guest for Bastastic, which is nothing but bass fishing. We are all up in Bastastic, aren't we? Yeah. Month of June it's is going to be all Bastastic, guys. Oh, that's and it. we have no better guest to kick it off. Than Jim Crowley of HookandHuntTV.com. What? Don't be bashful Who? about it. Yeah. Are you bashful. there, Jim? Are, are you there, Jim? Jokes are free. That's good. <laughs> hey, Jim, how's it going, bud? Wonderful, guys. I'm I'm glad to be here with with the entire crowd, all of you. This is awesome. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're actually missing a few, so you're you're having light duty this week. Yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. I'm I've been looking forward to this for for a long time and talking with you guys and um, as as big as you guys are getting, as well known as you're getting, this is it was great to meet you all and. In Harrisburg, yeah, we had, we had a good time catching up with you at the uh, Lucas fun, Oil yeah. booth. It's great. Yeah, it's a little it bit good. warmer now than it was then. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was. It was. Uh, it was. It was cold. And anywhere in the Midwest, all the way up to by you guys up there, which is was brutal this year. And that's just that's how it goes. But we're talking bass fishing. I'm happy. What's uh, what is on your minds? I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Well, what's going on in your world for bass fishing? Anything coming up? Yeah, we you know here in the Midwest, and and I am um, I'm in Illinois, so I'm right in the center of um, of the state, and but we are getting ready to travel to Ontario on on Monday um, to pursue some pre spawn to spawn smallmouth, just depending on how the weather Ooh. goes. We we've been going there for years. Um, it's, it's a great time of year to film because there's so many different things you can do depending on water temperature and water clarity, everything from jerk baits to top water to hair jigs. 
Um, it, it just it just depends when we get there and see what phase they're actually in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then here in the Midwest, is the water starting to clear up because we've had so much rain? As a, we just got done filming a show um, on one of the very few reservoirs that didn't have a whole bunch of runoff in it that we were able to get um, actually some fish to actually be able to see lures because a lot of the places are so muddy that we actually just got done filming a great show on soft plastic jerk baits because the fish were so locked down in the weeds. Wouldn't chase a frog, so we had to throw soft plastic jerk baits at them and basically just let it sit there. It was almost like dead sticking in oh, in wow. weed beds, which is a really strange bite, but but uh, we turned it into a great show. But th- this year is is weird. But you know, we you hear when I fished tournaments for 15, almost fifteen years back in the day, and you know, every time you go to the ramp, you could already hear the guys at the ramp that already took themselves out of the tournament. Well, the bite's tough, or I don't really think I'm on them, or I don't know what I'm going to do today. And those are guys that I already had my mind that I was going to get their money for the day. Because when, <laughs> nice, when, yeah. well, when conditions are changing, okay, so that's fine. So everything goes out the window. Great. So go out and fish. Right. Yeah. You know, so just, just go out yeah, and fish. You, you and, carry a tackle box for a reason. You know, yeah, and you know, and a lot of them anymore are twenty feet long and eighty thousand dollars. You got a big <laughs> exactly. tackle box. Yeah. You know, there's, there's well, those are tackle and, and thing, shops. Yeah, right. And and a lot of us overthink it and way overstock for what we need to do. Fish do three things, and that's all they do. They swim, they eat, they make little fish. That's what they yeah. do. Yeah, but they don't. They don't think. That's they the don't same have emotions. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's like us in prom. We don't think. We don't have emotions. We simply just react to our environment. You know, when they're not spawning, usually in reservoirs, home of the fish is deep water. And so they, they're they usually they're at places for two reasons, mostly to feed and then two for safety or for cover or but most of it's to feed. And so if people just realize a lot of times since they don't think if you get in the areas or you concentrate on techniques, depending on water clarity and water temperature, those are always my first two choices is water clarity and water temperature. And all the lures, rods, and reels we have are simply tools to get a job done. Right. right. Learn to match those. Learn what your lures are doing. And, and fishing becomes, it does become simple. It becomes a little bit easier. But we don't have to make it as hard as, as sometimes we make it. So, uh, Jim, I actually think I watched that episode today. Um, mm-hmm. where, where you were using the jerk baits because um, nothing else was really working for you. And like you said, you were right. hanging them up in the weed beds and stuff. Uh, anytime you see a little bit of wood either laying in the bottom or coming off the bank, you guys were throwing into that stuff. How were you rigging those jerk baits, right? Those were the Z-Man jerk baits. Right. Those, those were the Z-Man um, scented jerk shads. And remember something, after a cold jerk front, and, yeah, and we've had, we've had a lot of cold fronts this year. Remember after a cold front, on reservoirs, bass-like hardcover. So what I learned years and years ago um, from in fishermen and also from Bassmaster was the three things after a cold front of reservoirs, rocks, docks, and stumps. And it's in that order. Rocks, docks, and stumps. Rocks, docks, and stumps. And so I'm gonna get that in a little reservoir that we were fishing, <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of rock. And there's no docks, basically. Huh. So stumps are laydowns, wood next to grass, is going to be was going to be my cover options because in the grass alone we got very very few strikes if any but if there's wood in the water next to that grass especially if that wood was in the water next in grass next to deeper water those three things were almost all the time when we got a strike is this a is this a heat thing that that the rocks are going to be warm that they're going to find warmth off of that 
You know, that that's a great question. And all I've known is that hardcover, and, and I don't know whether it has to be a heat thing, and I'm sure there's, there's you know, some of the pros, full-time pros that could tell you that more so, but I've always seen when – when I'm on a reservoir, especially here's an example, power plant lake, and you've got a lot of rocks, you've got a lot of riprap. That's going to be the first thing I'm going to do because there's more of that. So my odds of finding more fish there are going to be better. Mm-hmm. When I've been in a reservoir where there's not as much rock, but there's more docks, then those fish, and especially if they're wood pilings, the bass are going to relate to that more. Now, when you don't have any of those stumps or laydowns, again, hard cover close to or adjacent to deep water is going to be do that after all these years. And I wish I had a better answer for you and I'm not avoiding it, but after all these years, even if I don't know why I know it works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. at that point, even anecdotal evidence is evidence enough. You, you make that yeah, work. And, and you, and you, and you do it. And so when you, and a lot of times, especially in reservoirs, where there's a lot of shallow cover available. You, your, your best options a lot of time are eliminating the shallow cover and you can easily do that one by one in a short period of time. I never fish an entire lake. What I'll do is I'm on a big reservoir and I come across the same thing. Then I'll pick one or two creeks that have a creek channel close to or running into it. And I go into those creeks and I'll see what my cover is available. And then I'll break it down that way because I'm going to have a lot systematically. I'm going to, my odds are going to be more in my favor if I do that than instead of running around the whole lake going, Oh, that looks good. Or that looks good. You can never be consistent that way. Right. Right. And then uh, maybe you pick up a pattern then just go from there. Right. And then you, because all reservoirs can be brought, the olden fisherman system, um, can be broken down. You break down a reservoir, and for somebody who might not know it, and I'm not saying this insultingly, but it's it's a it's a man-made lake. Okay, so there was a there was a creek there. They dammed it up, and then you have your upper end and you have your lower end. Your lower end is always going to be the deeper and clearer water. So what you do is you you can break every reservoir, no matter how big it is, down into thirds. And so if I took a creek, I would go the upper end of the creek or the shallows would be the upper end, then the middle, and then the lower end. Well, somewhere along the line, you're going to find fish somewhere. So if you do that, then you duplicate it on that day. A lot of chances you can run areas that you didn't even fish, and as long as things match what you've been fishing before, the odds are in are much better in your favor that you have a chance of catching more, even in an area that you haven't fished before. That's most yeah. of our lakes here locally, and I, and I was going to clarify with you when you when you were sa- stating a reservoir, if that was like an Army Corps of Engineer type project, right. like Lake Correct. of the Ozarks, Correct. Um, Table Rock Lake, uh, out Correct. your way, uh, to, to name a few. Wow. You've just put a lot of information in my head in a short yeah, amount that was of time. A, that was a ton of information. So you, you slapped us with cold fronts. How about a uh, a warm front? Well, hold on, because I want to. Oh, I still sorry. I still need to know how he was rigging those jerk shots. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, that's that's okay. That. And I'm I'm you, asking you specifically. You asked me the time of day. You well, asked me the time of day, and sometimes I'll give you the history of the clock. Sure. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, um, no, no. That's okay. But I remember from the video that the temperature of the water was 61 degrees. The reason it went I'm up asking and down. is just because of the 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 temperature we happen to be right close about to where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering how you rigged those chat. Okay, so so here's what happened. So we had the water temperature go up later in the day to, to where when I said that part of the show, it was later in the day. And what I did is I went out later that day. And the reason I did is because we had a cold front the night before that got down to 38, 39 degrees. Mm. So it got cold. And so the fish that were already up shallow trying to spawn, they locked down in the grass. Some of them probably dropped off. I just couldn't get bites 
on the drop-off, which was my first choice. So I went to a drop-off. I wouldn't do it. So the ones that stayed shallow locked up in that grass. And so they weren't aggressive enough to come after a frog. So here's how I rigged soft plastic jerkbait. I was throwing it on 17-pound fluorocarbon. Sometimes I'll throw on braid. Here's the idea. I went to fluorocarbon because I wanted to bait, since fluorocarbon line sinks, and the water was a little bit clearer, I wanted to go to a line that was going to hold the bait down. Those Z-Man okay. plastics are extremely buoyant. Yes, yes, they are. Okay, so if I was using maybe, if I was using any other probably jerkbait, braid would have been fine because the plastic sinks. When I use the Elastec, which is what I use all the time anymore, you I adjust for certain things. So I wanted the bait to stay a little bit below the surface, but almost like suspend. So what I did is I used a 3.0 or a 4.0, depending on what we had in a look, offset VMC hook. And then I'd pull the nose of that Elastec up over the eye and a hook, which I think you should do anyway. Anyway, sure. Right, and and because that way the knot won't get hung up on the grass or whatever. And then I rigged it straight, which you should always do anyway, on there. And what with the combination between the medium wire hook and the fluorocarbon would almost make the bait sit to a point and not float and not sink, but almost suspend and sit there. This was absolutely the most painful dead sticking <laughs> I've probably ever done and it was visual because you throw it there and let it sit there and there's there's a couple spots in the video where you can see me barely twitch the rod tip i mean barely move it and we always do our best to show everything from drone footage to when we have water clarity to everything below to show you exactly what we're experiencing because anybody can do a video catching a fish who cares what we want right. to show you is how and why we're doing something to be successful and hopefully the goal is that you that you all can take it and hopefully maybe even add something to it or be more successful than that. That's so awesome. we'll let you the know. fluorocarbon, the fluorocarbon actually weighted that bait enough to where it would sink a little bit lower in the water column and just okay. kind of sit there. So that's why that's how I rigged it. So in, in your opinion then, if I was throwing with braid, but I had about a twenty to thirty inch fluoro leader, would that be enough or it would be fine. That would that'd be hook? fine. Okay. That'd be fine because even a lot of guys are doing that a lot these days or they're throwing, even on bait casters, throwing braid with a four carbon leader. And if you're going to do that, smaller knots like the Albright knot, which I think is, that's the one I use almost all the time to connect the braid to the fluorocarbon, I think is a very, very good knot that you can cut small enough, the tag ends, that can pass through even the smallest of micro guides. Okay. I usually and tie still, the FG knot because that's the only one. Right, that I really and a lot more people do. are doing that. <laughs> and and I'll tell you, I'm old. I don't tie that one good, so I still stick with the the Albright knot. But the FG knot, I've had more saltwater guys tell me that they're going to the FG knot because it is less visible. I found so that I Albright knot's that's a little a bit easier choice. to tie, though. Is it? Sure. I got to look into that one. I'm an FG guy. It, yeah, I'm an FG see, guy. Uh, and I I can't say bad about either one because I've actually had a saltwater charter captain tell me that you learn it tie the FG knot and for whatever reason my ADD won't allow me to tie the <laughs> FG knot very good so so I stick with that Albright knot but you know when you learn to tie a knot good and you do it repetitively enough not only is it quicker you have more confidence in it and I've even started like if we get to talking about Nico rigs sometime or Ned rigs excuse me Nico rigs specifically I went to snelling my hooks because yeah. it's a more direct pull on a straight shank hook than 
even the Palomar knot, which I absolutely love. But I've even learned to start snelling my stuff and just to get my knots a little bit more precise. So learning the FG knot would probably be a benefit to me. So going back to the question of how you rig the uh, soft jerk bait, did you sure. use an extra wide gap or was it a straight chain? Yes. Extra no, gap? no. And, and and I fish most of my plastics 95, 99% of the time um, with the VMC wide gap hooks. And and the reason I do that, and I know a lot of a, a lot of the full-time pros are, are going to straight shanks back again. I remember when we did that into the 90s back in the nineties and we did that with straight shanks and then they went to offsets and now they're going back to straight shanks. One of the reasons, and that's fine. They, they both work. Right. Um, one of the reasons I like the offsets is because I think it is easier and more proficient to rig a bait straighter. I get you on an, on an offset than it is on a straight shank. Right. Um, and so it gets down to the time after all these years of doing it, what you know works, you you stick with. And one of the reasons so much that, you know, that I tout the VMCs is because with their offsets, they have a three-degree turn in that hook. It's a three-degree offset. And so when you set the hook, the hook automatically rotates. Yeah. When you get a rotate from an angle, so your angle, the angle that, and I'm a geek when it comes to this stuff, so I'm just going to tell you. When you have an angle from the boat down to the water and you have a three-degree offset, if you watch where your hook sets are compared to a straight shank, a lot more of them are in the side of the mouth yeah. where you really have to dig them out. Right. And so I don't, I shouldn't say I never lose fish, but very, very rarely because of that rotation of that hook, will you lose, will you lose a fish? We ought to figure that out. Cause we lose some fish. Speak for yourself. Yeah, speak for yourself. I'm good. <laughs> Not no, I was speaking for the rest of you guys, actually. Myself, I'm pretty good. <laughs> it's because all your swallow the hook from, the, from your finesse rig. <laughs> so, go ahead. Jim, you're you're out in Illinois, correct? Correct. And where a part whereabouts in Illinois are you? I'm in the center in the center of the state, so um where Bloomington is, Bloomington is about the center of the state. So Peoria is, you know, northwest of uh, Chicago is two and a half hours north. All right. How far from uh, Cuba? Mm, that is south of me. I think. You know what? I, I don't remember. I've been through there. I know I have, <laughs> it, but I don't know. It's west. I, it's way west. It's uh, actually okay. southwest of Peoria. That's where Bucky okay. was born. I was born in Peoria. Cuba's way okay. south of here. Yeah, I'm thinking it's like real about. far south, guys. What are you talking about? It's actually Cuba, Illinois. Oh, Cuba, yeah. Illinois. But if it, you listen to the the uh, Where's My Rust Belt episode, you'll you'll hear about Bucky's time in Cuba. <laughs> yeah. See, I just assumed it was Cuba, Cuba. <sighs> Learning something new every day. And there's a lot of like strip mine, old coal strip mines all oh, through yeah. that part oh, of yeah. the country, guys. And are you fishing a lot of those little? places we we actually just fished one we my wife and i just did a uh, helped out with a charity tournament for disabled folks last saturday um it's a place called the big the giant goose ranch in canton and it's it's a bunch of those strip pits. in canton I mean, illinois like, yeah it's like gin clear water right uh, that's where we moved to after cuba what yeah Get yeah. Out yeah. Of here. yeah oh it's in there World. there's literally in it's still fantastic goose hunting there the duck hunting can be okay um but a lot of the lakes around there can produce some banner marshes yeah. one. Yeah. Okay. So giant goose ranch over there, all those pits over there, there can be some incredible um, 
incredible bass fishing there. Some of it can be tough because the water is so clear. Um, but but there's some great there's some great fish in there. Now when you're fishing, Jim, it when sounds it, like you do a little bit of everything. Right. Hook and hunt. I mean, he's hooking and hunting. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's not just a clever name. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a reason behind that when we were drinking beer and made up the name for the show. But yeah. <laughs> and forgive me now because Jim's just taking me down memory lane here. Oh and, yeah, and, yeah. And don't worry about it. Because I remember being a kid and I would just dream about catching fish in those pits. And because nobody hardly fishes them, you don't see people. No, I've got, I've got a gravel pit by the house, and this is oh man, oh, 10, 15 years ago. My biggest bass in Illinois is eight and a half pounds. What? And it and it came out of a gravel pit like twenty minutes from my house. Large mouth. Large mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would say it'd be I, a I think, large mouth. And I think the I think the biggest the biggest bass I've caught on camera for hook and hunt TV, I think was a seven, four or seven, nine. Wow. And yeah. that was in 2009 when Rapala came out with the X rap and it was like the third or fourth fish I ever caught on it. And it was like a seven, four or seven, nine. That video is still somewhere out there <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. on, on YouTube. And it was just, it was amazing. And that same pit produced, produce that eight and a half pounder for me. It's pretty cool. I'm embarrassed to say this, but this, this is my first year using some of those X wraps. Yeah. And, uh, they are killers. Oh yeah. They're stone cold. Welcome to the addiction, right? (laughs) If, if, if more people, I, I still said it when, when water clarity presents itself, whether it's in fresh or salt water, I have caught some of my biggest, and some of my most memorable fishing trips have been on jerk baits. Yeah. And I've given seminars, a ton of seminars over the years about, you know, throwing jerk baits on. Um, Cause I've, I've, I've worked with Rapala for 14 years. And, and so I was really lucky that the guy who designed pretty much all their jerk baits from the, all the way from the Husky jerk, all the way up to the X wrap in 2009, then the shadow wrap and now the rip stop was Mark Fisher. Just retired from Rapala last year. He's in the Hall of Fame, lure designer. And and Mark nice. actually helped me learn how to fish jerk baits the correct way. Wow. And I do it now for largemouth, smallmouth, northern pike, can, musky. For us and our listeners, please can, can yeah. you can you tell us exactly how to do that? What's the technique? What's the correct way? It's based on several things. And since we got some time, I'll just tell you. Okay, first of all, jerkbaits are, without question, more effective in clear or lightly stained water. And you've got you've got sinking jerkbaits, you've got suspending jerkbaits, and then you've got ones that will float, and you've got ones that will rise. So based on, if, if you really, really, really want to get into the technical stuff of jerkbaits, it, it, a lot of it is based on water clarity and water temperature. And I say that for a lot of my lures, but it, I don't think it's no more prevalent than it is with jerkbaits. And so if I'm fishing smallmouth early in the year, like if I was up in Ontario a couple of weeks ago and that water temperature is in the upper 40s, a bait that's going to stay down deeper in that water column or barely suspend is going to be my first choice. So the original shadow wrap, when we came out with that one, that is the bait that really doesn't float or sink. It kind of fades, but it does, it does to an extent sink. So I can control my depth with that bait and keep that bait down more and I'm going to be throwing on sinking braid and fluorocarbon. So most of my jerk bait setup is 10 pound eight, suffix 832. And I'm not just naming baits or lines to name to product promote here. 
I use suffix A32 because it sinks. It's got Gore-Tex 5%. It's a sinking break. So that helps abate stay down. Then I use a fluorocarbon leader. That also sinks. So that keeps the bait down. So when those fish are starting to move in or starting to move closer in that pre-spawn area, I want a bait that's going to stay down more. Or if they're not responding to that, then I'm going to slow it down even more. And that's when I go to the X-Rap. Yeah. The X-Rap has that cupped lip. So there's a cup inside the lip. If you take your X-Rap and you get home and press your thumb in there, you'll feel a cup compared to like the Husky Jerk or compared to the shadow wrap. What that does is it actually makes a bait slash. It cups more water, so it causes a bait to jerk more from side to side in an up and down motion than it does the rest of them. That's gonna be the bait that I'm gonna pause because the suspending bait like that, when you pause that, with the fish's metabolism being lower in cold water, that can be really, really deadly, especially on smallmouth. Now, when they get a little bit more active and getting more into the shallow water area of it, then I'm going to go either with the shadow wrap shad, which stops and then starts to float nose up, or if they're getting really close to the beds or I'm throwing a jerk bait in clear shallow water, that's when I may go with the rip stop. It doesn't move from side to side at all. It stays between two and three feet, and it just stops. And when they say it stops, you jerk that bait, it stops. It doesn't go from side to side. It doesn't turn back around like the shadow wrap does, it just stops. So again, they're like any other lure. It's just a series of lures that you use to cover depths in a water column to be more effective with a jerkbait. One is not going to, I tell everybody, especially in a seminar, every single lure in my tackle box works and every single lure in my tackle box does not work. It all just yeah, depends. It, it, it depends on you what you know and how you use it there is no such thing as a magical lure there is your excellence or lack of it that determines the success with that lure usually the yeah. latter for me with all of us yeah <laughs> now i'm taking some copious notes over here just so that we're all aware a jerk bait is probably I, I ran into a guy at a ramp when we were filming the show last week and he goes he goes, I've seen more stuff with you on jerk baits and wacky worms. And I said, That's probably the two things for largemouth and smallmouth that I'm probably the most known for, I think, is because I'm very technical when it comes to that stuff. And if more people would fish jerk baits, whatever brand, I don't care what brand it is, if you would learn how to effectively use that rule. And the best way you can do it is to stand in shallow water and manipulate your rod tip so you can see what that lure is doing. Because when you can when you can learn what it does, and then you make that cast 30 or 40 yards away, you can make that lure do exactly what you want. And knowing what your lure does on every cast, that's when you start fishing. If you don't know what your lure is doing on every single cast, then you're just hoping for a bite. The odds are not in your favor. Right. Yeah. So here here's a situation. You you look at the water temperature, you look at the water clarity, you throw mm -hmm. the bait that you feel is going to give you the opportunity to uh, give you a strike. And right. after a half an hour, it doesn't happen. Um, what's your next step? What it, you know, if what you okay, think so is going to work doesn't happen, then what do you do? Okay, so then there's, there's only two types of presentations we have as anglers. It's vertical and horizontal. Okay. Okay. You have horizontal presentations where I'm going to be especially when I get to a new body of water, or even when I get to one that I know, I'm almost always going to start out with a horizontal 
presentation. I'm going to see if I can get some reaction starts because fish only feed for two reasons. They feed out of reflex or they feed out of hunger. And if we were just fishing for fish that fed, we probably wouldn't catch nowhere near as many as we do. It's our job as anglers to make them react. Right. And that's what this billion dollar industry has been built on is fish reacting to reaction strikes. Sure. Okay. So, right. And so, so this time of year, like when I go to Ontario next week, I've a couple baits I've got tied on already is, is, um, uh, and I'll take it from top to bottom. Skitter pop is one. Um, just because a couple of years ago we filmed an awesome show on a skitter V. Um, and I just, I want to do a show on popping baits. We haven't done one in a long time. So is that, is that a, top, a skitter top, pop? Yeah. Top water lure. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to okay. do that. I'm also going to do it on a new smaller frog that Terminator has, a, very, a, a new smaller walking frog. And smallmouth are going to be moving up into pencil reeds off these islands to spawn. And so being able to get a bait back in there is going to be key once they lock on the beds. And so a frog like that's going to be able to come through anything. A Ned rig is going to be able to be cast precisely on a spinning rod in there or a small hair jig. So those are all rigged. Um, then I have, um, a DT fat, which is, uh, D, uh, which is a three foot diving fat wobbling crankbait that I'm going to wake. And so that coming over shallow reefs or whatever, that's going to be a good one. Um, and basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing mostly horizontal presentations to see what we can find and see how the fish react on a crankbait. If they're hitting a the back hook, then I know either they're slashing at it or there's something else they want. If they're engulfing the entire bait, I can pretty much tell that's what I should be doing. Retrieve that's speed, a, depth, yeah. That one's money. Yeah. That, that's money. Then if, if they're coming in and you can't see the bait or it's hooked crossways in their face, hmm. don't change a thing. Yeah. If, if they're slashing at the bait, and we saw this a couple of years ago when we were filming, we hit the pre-spawn perfectly and we were throwing a shadow wrap when it first came out, knocking the crap out of them the first day. Second day, they were slashing at it. We threw back in there with soft plastic jerk baits and wackies, and they started hitting a little better. Third day, they wouldn't come out for anything. They were locked on the beds in the pencil reeds. We dropped down to, and this is a trick I got taught. Um, I will always give him credit. Dan Quinn from Rapala taught me how to throw a one sixteenth ounce black hair jig. And they were locked on the beds, and they're locked on these big boulders that are in shallow water under close to or around these pencil reeds. So you would toss this hair jig in there, on 10 pound braid and fluorocarbon and you would just let it sink and all of a sudden your line would just tick yeah. and you'd set the hook and you have to go in after them because they'd wrap huh. you up in the, in the pencil reeds. So we actually went from watching a pre-spawn to actually blocking on the nest and having about three or four different baits and, to do it. And because when swamoth lock down, they're done. They're on a nest. They're, they, they lock quick. So you said with those, and, with those hair jigs, you're just dropping them in and letting them sit. Right. And it's, the hair jig is a really, really neat technique. VMC actually makes a hair jig designed for this technique. It's, we make 10 different colors. You don't need any of them but black. They hate when I say that. <laughs> you, you need black and you need 116. Yeah. And then you take a little piece of worm, plastic worm, and you slide it up on a shank. That adds casting weight to the bait. And then it also flares the hair skirt. Uh-huh. What I do then is I take a seven and a half, seven three to seven six spinning rod, medium light. It's basically a crappie rod yeah, or a light action walleye rod. And you're making long casts with that small bait because in that clear water, the biggest mistake I think people make is they get too close to the fish. You need to stay the heck off the fish. Now, when you're doing it. And and you can make long casts with that hair jig and the slower you can reel it, slow it down even more. 
Now you're talking about setting up for a trip and you, you kind of have this list of lures you want to use. What about the color selection? Cause you don't, you don't really know what the water clarity is going to be until you get there. Are you kind of just going off of reports or here's, here's, here's how I do it. And I've been, you know, so I'm going to be, I'm going to have a little bit more information on some people because I've been traveling to Canada for 45 years. Okay, since my dad started taking me when I was seven. And obviously, I'm not writing a whole bunch of notes when I'm seven or eight years old. But you look at water clarity, and I remember it then. Most of it is depending on, say, if we're fishing Eagle or Lake of the Woods, which I fished a ton. And the northern end of the lake is going to be really, really clear. Really, really clear. So I'm fishing a lot of fluorocarbon and light line. When I get down to the lower end, like the southeast end of Eagle, there's a little bit of a, a tint to the water there. I can get away a little bit more with like small chatterbaits and crankbaits and, and Ned rigs and, and wacky worms and things like that because the water clarity really doesn't change much. The water level will rise and fall. But it won't change much because it's a massive body. It's, it's, a, it's a Canadian shield lake. It's a massive body of water. You know, when you've got so much vegetation there, too, you've got there's going to be a lot of clarity. You know, sometimes maybe a little bit more, a little bit less. But I, I, when I get to Canadian Shield Lakes, it, it's different than when I'm fishing a reservoir or a tidal. Or I'm, I'm a, what I call myself is a forage-based angler. I know what they're feeding on. They're feeding on walleyes. They're feeding on perch. They're feeding on small whitefish, small minnows. And so my color selection is really, really simple. Here's here's a bait that will always work in Canada no matter where you go and everybody's got one in your tackle box. Go Fire on. Tiger. Fire tiger. Fire tiger. Yeah, it's Fire a, tiger. It's a go-to. Yeah, it, yeah it, it, it's going to work everywhere. It's got every color of just about everything that that you do. Yeah, and on a cloudy day, bone with an orange belly or a green with an orange belly. Those are crawdads. That's what the crawdad colors are. I've actually, I remember as a kid walking the shorelines of Lake of the Woods and, and turning up rocks and getting small crawdads out of it because you're a kid. That's what you do. Sure. And you remember a lot of that is that green or that orange. And those baits are still really prevalent today. They, they haven't changed. I mean, the, the, the forage base is the same. I, I think what has changed a lot is the angler. The angler, angler always wants a quick fix and the hottest color and the hottest technique. That's not always the one that's going to be the most. Basics will still always outproduce the newest thing because the newest thing came along because of the basics. Right. Hmm. So do you ever throw those rebel crayfish? That... You know what? Fan. I, I, I didn't win a tournament on it, but back in the Illinois river years ago, fantastic. Bait. That rebel we are, uh, or not the rebel we are the, the crawdad one you're talking about. There is one that is a brownish with a white, with an orange belly. Mm-hmm. Yep. When I was going to Canada as a kid, the deep diving one, I would, here's what I did even back when I was a teenager, I would take, you have size eight, number eight hooks on those. So I would, I would leave the front one on there and then I would put a six on the back. Hmm. They wouldn't tangle, but you would have a, you would have a bigger hook to catch. That is, and like I said, I've worked for Rappler for 13 years. That crankbait is an absolutely phenomenal crankbait. That rebel crankbait is 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 a good. Is, I'm glad is, is I'm glad to hear that because I have three or four in my tackle box that haven't been thrown yeah. in a while. Uh, yeah, I think one of the new of us have gotten some miles out of that. Yeah. I have a tray, oh, a Plano sure, sure. tray full of them because <laughs> yeah, of the mileage they're, they're, I've gotten out of those. At, you know what? I was turned on to that crankbait years and years and years ago by a walleye guy, and ter- and he goes, "You need to be throwing this on my river," and he was right because I was catching a bunch of bass. <laughs> 
with that so-called walleye crank mm-hmm. back then. Um, Rapala just came out with a with a shad wrap pattern that mimics that, but in the original shad wrap. The, I, one of the best baits ever, ever, ever is a shad wrap because of the tight, because of that balsa wood and because of that tight wiggle. You put that color scheme on there in clear water, that will, on a, on a solid straight retrieve thrown on a spinning rod, that thing will flat out stop and float up enough to look like a little crawdad coming off the bottom. And it's it's the same color scheme. It's fantastic in a balsa bait. Huh, Absolutely fantastic. Nice. Yeah. So, so Jim, what's going on? What's new for hookandhunttv.com? I think this year is our – this year, and we started it this way, and I've already been getting – you know, great comments on it is now that, that this is my full time gig. We have, I do all the editing myself. We, I have one cameraman who's my best friend and, and phenomenal with a still camera as well as, um, as well as a video camera. Wish we I could get more, one of those. We, <laughs> we had, you know, we've added more camera stuff, whether it be underwater with GoPros, um, cameras in the back of the boat with Yolo tech, more, definitely more drone footage to make sure we show everything from top to bottom. What people are going to see this year is probably along with how I've been explaining things. And we do that in every show as we, as we take time to do something, you're going to be seeing more footage that will back up what we explain more so than we've ever been able to do. Yeah, that's great. And so everyone will, I'm hoping my goal is that you like, you feel like you're there underwater with us. Everything from over to shoulder can't, if you saw the one you guys mentioned that you saw the recent show, if you notice my cameraman was over my shoulder and we showed wood in the water, we did everything from the casting angle to showing you exactly what we were throwing at. Hmm. There's a, there's another aspect of the show that uh, I didn't even get to touch on yet, and I know Deke's probably chomping at the bit. I can't believe he didn't bring it up yet. You you actually take some time and you go over the the rod itself that you're using, and right. you talk about the fact that you're building a lot of these yourself. I am, and I, I this is this is so funny. So I'm 52 years old, right? And you're like, okay, because I need another hobby, right? <laughs> and and I got a, a buddy of mine that that I've known through the industry for years, um, uh, Don Morris from American Tackle. And, and Don and I were talking, he goes, well, why don't you just start building your own stuff? And my history in rod and rods goes back a long way. My mentor in the industry, to make a long story short, was Mike Thorson. Mike Thorson used to design the rods for St. Croix. Some of his designs they're Ooh, still using today. Fan. And he, what's that? I'm a big fan of St. Croix rods. Okay. So the original legend and the premier rods were designed by my mentor, which was Mike Thorson. Um, they're still using some of his designs today. He now works for a components company called Batson Enterprises. Mike and I are still very, very good friends after 20-something years in the industry. And so I always, he, he taught me everything that I know about rods, not everything he knows, but I learned about lengths and actions and, and how you match those. And that's not something you can just do. It's just it's, it's it's something you're taught and you learn over time. Well, so Don and I were talking about this at ICAST a couple of years ago and he goes, you know, you're working with us. And I love the microwave guide system. I've, I've loved that since it came out in 2009. I fished with Doug Hannon, who invented that. And when he showed it to me, I thought it was absolutely incredible, especially on spinning rods, blah, blah, blah. So we get to talk and he said, well, why don't you learn to build a rod? And I said, well, Don, I don't know how to build a rod. He goes, I'll teach you. 
And so he goes, here. So so here's his idea of teaching me. He sent me like seven or eight videos. <laughs> and so 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 I go, okay. And I go, so what he goes, watch the videos. Crowley, have some patience and watch the video. I watch him and I go, I can do this. And so I order some components from Angler's Workshop. And at, believe it or not, they're in Illinois, one of the biggest mm-hmm. distributors across the country for people who make their own rods, lures, all that kind of stuff. It's called if you've called if you've heard of lure parts online. Yeah. Okay, they're Angler's Workshop. Same thing. Two okay. different websites, same company. Okay. They have the videos out there that are free that you can just go and learn. That's perfect. How to build a rod. And so I'm like, you know, what a cool thing. So we we developed a plan with Angler's Workshop and Lure Parts Online that why don't we show every episode where I catch fish that we take one of the rods that I use in the episode and talk about how I built it and what it is. That, that's, so we it's great that, that you're doing that. Yep. Well, thank you, because we, so far it's been really well, well received. And people, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm not a pro at this. I've built 15 rods. I do not finish them better than Finishing a lot of guys is the, out there. the toughest part, I think. It is. It is to make it, you know, anybody can wrap threads on it. And I'm learning that because I still have my first rod that I wrapped it. I'm like, holy cow. It looks but, like a but it's that epoxy, accident. laying that epoxy down just right. perfect. And that takes time. Definitely. And it, and it takes practice. But the and cool epoxy. thing is every rod that I do, I get a little better. Right. You know, the, the guy what I'm who... hoping is that the high school and college kids will see this as I'm doing this and go, you know what? If you want to build your own, one, you can save about half right. the money on any rod out there by building yourself. And two, how cool would it be not only to be able to catch a big bass, but catch it on something you built. That's, yeah, that's, that's cool. part of the, that's part of the lore there for me. No, no pun intended. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's big pike that I caught last year. Yeah. We're on a rod I built. That's pretty that's sweet. See, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Now, how, okay. and the, the cool thing is <laughs> when you do that here, here, and I'll tell you guys a funny story. This is true. So the first fish I catch on one of the rods I built, here's what I said to myself. Oh God, please don't let the guys just strip off. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I just want the thing to stay together. <laughs> you know, because you're, you're like, I did something wrong. You know, I did, they couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be like this. They're together. And now you, you get the point where you, you get the length and action that you want and you're, you're, you're accurate. And are you more accurate because of the rod or maybe because you're more accurate because of the confidence you're having a rod you built? I don't care. It feels cool. Well, it's it's awesome to see you, you know, giving feedback on some of those Facebook pages about rod building too, because it's cool to see a guy who who is established in the industry, you know, talking about it. So that's that's great. Well, you know, and we've always said that, you know, our YouTube page doesn't do very much, and I've got a web page. I would rather have people go to my web page and see our advertisers and see the other services we offer. The cool thing about Facebook is, is, is our Facebook views have, have pretty much went off the chart the last couple of weeks. People, and the cool thing is there's good responses there. And there's a lot of older people, my age that, that are Facebook and that love the fish like that. And so you get some, you know, you get some, you get some negative stuff when you put yourself out there. You always do because you know, there's always somebody out there who can do it better. Right. Sure. But 90, 99% of the stuff I, I talk with a lot of the people that comment on the show and if they ever want to message me, you know, I feel if they took their time to message me, I can sure as hell take my time to message them back. And, and I want to talk with them. And 
if, if they like something or something helped them. I, I want to know, you know, and, and if they say, well, I wish you wouldn't have done it that way. It doesn't mean I'm going to change everything because it may just be an aspect of part of the show, but I appreciate their honesty. And I, I'm never going to be, I'm always going to be thankful for the people that want to comment or take time to watch a show because it wasn't for any of them. I, I quite simply just wouldn't have a show. Yeah. Well, you're t absolutely telling the truth. I mean, oh, yeah. you, you picked up the phone for us, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my screener wasn't here. No, but, no, I, I was thrilled to do it. He's out checking the water quality. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. So uh, this is the, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, we're moving along in the show here, and this is the part where we call... The Fast Five. Don't you do it. I didn't even get to talk about That's Neko fine. Rigs yet. Oh, You're going to try to get to this point? We'll have to have a part two. We're going to have to have a Took part two. Took the words out of my mouth. I'm running, no, I'm running out of notes. space here. Bucky is always giving backup shows to people. I love backup shows. We could <laughs> do a it. whole season worth of backup shows. <laughs> At this point, we could, yeah. But we, I think that's a testimony to the to the guests we're getting. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, this is technically his first so, backup show already. We had yeah, him on in. already <laughs> been on the, the show. So we'll have a, what would that, that was be? was just a two-minute clip. A backup I, to the backup. Back, back, back to backup. I learned way too much in this episode now he's like the penguins. not to do it again, guys. <laughs> anyway, so we, we call this portion the Fast Five. It's where we okay. hit you with five questions, and you just tell us what comes off the top of your head. No wrong answers. Okay. We'll tell All you right. if they're wrong. Yeah. No wrong okay. answers. But, <laughs> but no wrong answers. Yeah. There okay. has to be some wrong ones out there. We'll we'll eventually find one. Yeah. It, that's the whole purpose of this segment. <laughs> um <laughs> then uh, you know, we're just gonna go through this and, and uh tell us an honest answer. That's all we with okay. number one. What are you most proud of? Th that's that's hard. Um I think I'm, I'm I just recently got married. Um, well, congratulations! And I, I, uh, thank you, thank you. Um, and and I'm not fishing? just saying this to say that. Can you? Can I, you get that? No, no, no. My, uh, <laughs> uh, no, my. I'm. A I'm real really person? proud of. Um, uh, yeah, real person. Yeah, Rhonda's her name, and I'm. I'm uh, she's been a blessing in my life, and I think God gave me a second chance with her. And I, I'm, nice. I'm not saying this to be corny. I'm. I'm really proud of of what we're building for her daughter. Um, and, and I'm, I'm really, really proud of that. So maybe corny or not, but that's just, no, that's, that's the first thing to hit me. That's, 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 that's the first answer. thing to hit my heart. Yeah. We're yep. all family men. So that's, that's wonderful. Yep. Perfect. All right. Number two, what's one thing you can't live without in the outdoors? One thing I can't live without, uh, in the outdoors, man, that, that's a great question. Um, I, first thing comes to mind. Um, bug spray. Jesus, criminy, they eat me alive. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're going to Canada. Yeah, I was just going to say, you better no. get a tanker truck before you head out oh, of Ontario. I, boys, I'm not, I'm not kidding you. It, it's, it's loaded up, and it's like two or three different brands. I don't care what it is. I will, yeah, I'll be I'll be greasy at the end of the day, but damn them. Do you, they're, they're like the size of pterodactyls with a smile on their face up there. Are you are you packing the uh, full-on DEET, like inside of a coffee can, in case they search you going into Canada, because they don't like the DEET? Up no, there. they don't. I've, I've got some other stuff. I don't even remember the brand of it right now, but that is like DEET free. And we could get in a whole another discussion about stuff I learned about DEET. But this stuff is supposed to be the bomb. So if it's not, Let um, us then I'm going to come back yeah. welted and cussing the guy at Shield. <laughs> Let us know, bud. Yeah, sure. Okay, Jim, let's move on to question number three. Um, what, okay. makes, what makes you happy? 
you know what? Um, Mike Pan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, I, I'm uh, I'm in a place in my life right now where it, it wait. It's again, it's going to sound corny, but waking up in the morning, I, I'm thrilled to be with a woman I'm with. I'm thrilled that I get to do this for a living. I'm I. There's a lot of things that make me. There's, there's a lot of things that make me happy. There, there really is. I I, I um um. I, I think I'm a 98% positive person. So one thing, um, there's, there's just a lot of things that there's a lot of things that make me happy. I, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm pretty blessed. I surround myself with, with, I think are good people. That's perfect. Um, right. and, and they make me, they make me happy. It's, it's not just about me. They, they make me happy. That's good. Nice. That's great. So number four, one thing you uh-huh. do every day to prepare for your outdoor lifestyle. Yeah. Pray. Right. Perfect. And, uh, and, um, I do, I, and, and sometimes I'm, I'm negligent of to do as much as I should, but I don't care what anybody tells me or says what I believe is what's on every episode that God made me a fisher and hunter. I'm proud of both. And I apologize to no one that starts yeah, that show amen. every day. Um, and, and, uh, I owe him everything. Cause I was, a, I was an only kid that came from, um, a low middle income family in Chicago and I got to fish and travel and meet and see things that I never did. Damn right. I'm extremely thankful. I pray. Good on you, man. Good. Amen. And finally, uh, last but not least, number five, Jim, what is on your bucket list? You hunt and fish, so sky's the limit, mm-hmm. bud. It's wide open. Okay, couple couple things. One, um, I want to sea duck hunt on the coast of Maine. I, w- I want to go after... You said yeah, sea dog, so through. we could get you not the coast of Maine. We know a guy, but you know a couple. Of them. Well, I, I want to go. I want to go after eiders. I, I want to oh, just hunt yeah. eiders. That's that's. I would an love awesome to do that. I, I would. I would. I would love to be with guys who know how to do it and just have fun. Like and layout shoot a big boat. Eider. Oh yeah. Well, see, I'm a layout boat hunter anyway. Oh, oh. man, we are oh, gonna yeah. have another episode. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, because I, I hunt out of, we filmed some great episodes out of UFOs. Oh, um, love it. The owner of UFO Layout Boats is a friend of mine, Tony Homer. Um, yeah, I'm, I, me and my crew are big layout duck hunters. I think is the last frontier of waterfowl hunting. Oh, it's so I've cool. Ever, You're I've so up and up and close on them. Oh, I, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I love to hunt. I love to eat ducks and geese. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. If I could ever do eiders or something like that out of a layout boat, oh, good God, you would hear me screaming like a 12-year-old schoolgirl. I'd be so freaking excited. I can tell you <laughs> that. Well, and well, then probably if I, I've hooked a marlin before, but a bucket list is still to to land, to hook, to hook and land a marlin. Don't care if it's a stripey in a 200-pound yeah, range not or a, blue. Black, blue, doesn't matter what it do. is. Nice. That's yeah. awesome, the man. Bigger the, fish, the, the bigger the fish, the more I want to pit myself against it. I mean, I've caught you know, 210 foot long, um, swordfish. I've got 250 pound sturgeon, the bigger the fish that, you know, and if I lose, I lose, but I just want, I want to pit myself against it. Awesome. Cool. Where can our listeners find you and, and, and stay up to date with you? Easy, easy stuff to do. If, if you just want to see what we're about, just want to see what we're done, go to hookandhunttv.com. And because I have a small production company, you can see about our video services and all that. You can also see the companies that we work with. That's at hookandhunttv.com. Nice and easy to do. If you just want to see the show on a consistent basis, simple thing to do, go to Hook and Hunt TV on Facebook and like the page. If you just like the page, every time we come out with a new segment, which is every two to three weeks for about 15 episodes a year, um, 
you, you will be notified about when the episode comes out. Um, you can easily follow us on Instagram, too. Our Instagram page is starting to grow at Hook and Hunt. But probably Facebook is probably our biggest following right now um, between my page at Jim Crowley, um, which we have some fun stuff there. But probably everything Hook and Hunt TV, if you want to know that. And I answer emails and messages from both. So you can easily just go to Hook and Hunt TV on Facebook and, and like us. Um, and you'll be easily kept up to date. I think we just put a new video out tonight um, about getting ready to go to Canada. So we cover what we do in our truck and how we keep our truck and boat and running condition, everything. Oh, I think nice. that's on Instagram nice. and Facebook. So, Perfect. Yeah, we, we, we get pretty in-depth on stuff about, you know, we're going to show the inside of our boat on one segment because people like to see what's in your tackle boxes and things like that. And I would say we're pretty we're, we're pretty transparent as far as, you know, what we do and meeting people on the road. People have been really, really gracious and a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And, uh, you know, I, I love I love the opportunity to get that. So, um, you know, we look forward. We always say we always look forward to the next adventure. Well, Jim, we really appreciate having you on. Oh, yeah. Uh, we will definitely be in touch. If if we don't get a hold of you before the Great American Outdoors show, we'll definitely see you there. Uh, it's been an sure. awesome episode. Yeah, we yeah. can't wait to. Well, I, I, I sure appreciate the opportunity here, guys, and trusting me and, and uh, having this. And I hope your audience continues to grow. Uh, you guys are a lot of fun. You're extremely professional. I hope your audience continues to grow. And you guys are doing a great job. And I just, I truly, sincerely appreciate the opportunity. Um to be on your program. I really, truly do. Hey, thanks, Jim. Thank thanks you, Jim. so thanks, much, Jim. bud. Take care. And guys, don't forget, this episode is brought to you in part by Smoking the Grove Barbecue Festival. Smoking the Grove. That's being held July 26th and 27th in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. For more information, head over to smokingthegrove.com. Smokingthegrove.com. Ah, love me them burn ends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... It's also brought to you in part by Moses Family Jerky. Get out of town. Oh, yeah. Get 15% off your next order by heading over to mfjerky.com. Make sure you use that promo code, jerkypursuits15. So, Deaky. Yeah, bud. Where can they find us? You can find us by searching all the social media properties for Rut and River Pursuit Podcast. Podcast. We are also on the World Wide Web. www.rutandriverpursuit.com. Dot com. There it is. Make sure you check us out on YouTube, Rut and River Pursuits Podcast. Also, search all of us individually on Instagram yeah, and Facebook. Yeah, you probably should do that. There's always something going on. R2 there is. David Kyle. That's one, one of my favorites. Yeah. The miser, Stevie. He's a... Uh, Steve, Steve he, Miser. Steve Miser. Yeah, don't you know, get too fancy. He's on vacation right now, so you better watch his, uh, his stories. Look up Pick Diesel. And Pick Diesel? Just spell it Pike Diesel and you'll find him. Yes. <laughs> Boys. P-I-K. P-I-K. Uh, good Diesel. stuff. Good stuff. Guys, it's another great week. As always. Hey, yes, it has. Thanks so much. We'll see ya. Peace. Well, when conditions are changing, okay, so that's fine. So everything goes out the window. Great. So go out and fish. All right. Yeah. You know, so just just go out yeah, and fish. You, you and, carry a tackle box for a reason, you know. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of them anymore are twenty feet long and eighty thousand dollars. You've got a big <laughs> <Exactly>. tackle box. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's there's well, those are tackle and, and thing, shops. We ought to figure that out because we lose some fish. 
Speak for yourself. Yeah, speak for yourself. I'm good. <laughs> Not no, I was speaking for the rest of you guys, actually. Myself, I'm pretty good. No. <laughs> it's because all your swallow the hook from, from your finesse rig. <laughs> Now, when you're fishing, Jim, it sounds it, like you do a little bit of everything. Right. Hook and hunt. I mean, he's hooking and hunting, yeah. <laughs> I guess. It's not just a clever name. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a reason behind that when we were drinking beer and made up the name for the show, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs>